Hey guys, long time no see. I don't know if anybody else has been crazy the last few weeks, but I went to Texas to record our um, semi-annual podcast, and uh, I ended up staying a lot longer than I planned, and then, um, you know, catch up once you get back. So, uh, it's been nuts, but I do feel I have some breathing room, and I'm super excited about getting back to our Daniel study, and then also our um, urgent education, which, by the way, I have... Um, or had a constitution training. Um, basically, it's a roadmap to uh, restore our country back to its original intent um, for this Saturday at 9, but I've not had enough people sign up, so I'm going to do a little bit more advertising, um, get a little bit more, you know, things, momentum going. Uh, if you want to attend this, please let me know, and I will put you down, excuse me, for the next one. Hopefully, I can do one maybe in April or May. I mean, it's pretty crazy right now, so I'm not sure. I really wanted to get one in March, um, but we'll see. I mean, if I get more interest and more people sign up between now and Saturday, I'll go ahead and do it. But as far as Daniel, we're now in Chapter 9, and um, we've had where Gabriel has started to um, describe and explain the visions and the dreams that Daniel has been having. And, uh, and now he's in the first year of the reign of Darius, where in verse 1, the Mede, the son of uh, Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians, during the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded uh, with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So we see here that Daniel is continuing his service to kings. Now he's serving the Medo Persian king, and he's in the word, and he finds out wait a minute. We're only supposed to be in captivity for 70 years. Now, it appears at that time the 70 years wasn't up or things would have already been moving toward their release. So what Daniel does is he starts praying and fasting for the fulfillment of this prophetic word, which I think is missing a lot of times in today's Christian circles, especially those who uh, recognize and practice prophetic ministry it's like you get a word from the Lord or a scripture stands out to you and then we sit back and wait for God to fulfill it. But you do not see that practice in the Old Testament. Once they discerned that it was time for a word to come to pass, they immediately began praying. They immediately began fasting for that word. So they understood that the some prophecy is conditional. It requires the cooperation of the people of God, and some prophecy is going to happen no matter what anybody does. And I would say the end of the age, the coming of Jesus, those things, the resurrection, those are um, unconditional prophecies. Nothing will stop those. Uh, so I love it. He he discerns. He picks up. Hey, we're we're going to. Um, be re restored back to Israel in 70 years. And I'm sure he was counting the years too to see where they were at in the timeline. But I like the word learned 
that he learned about the 70 years. Um, this word means to discern, to perceive, to observe, to pay attention to, to be intelligent, to understand, to consider uh, diligently. The idea is that you're hearing with understanding. And, you know, I would call this active listening. A lot of people hear, but they don't listen. They're not getting what others are saying because they're getting either their response ready or they may have preconceived ideas, etc. And so they're not actually listening, although they may be hearing the words. So it's the same thing here that when he read that, he was like, wait a minute. We've been here this long. We're only supposed to be here 70 years. And you know what was interesting? Back in the day where Jeremiah was prophesying to the Israelites, there were other prophets that were going around telling them that they were going to be immediately restored back to Israel when they were taken to Babylon. And that was not true. The only one that was getting it correct was Jeremiah, maybe some of the minor prophets, I don't know. But the major prophet was Jeremiah, and he's like, no. And that's where Jeremiah 29 comes down, where he's like, guys, God has good plans in store for you, but we are not going back home anytime soon. Therefore, you need to settle in the cities. You need to marry and give your children in marriage. You need to establish businesses. You need to seek the peace of that city, and you need to pray for that city. I, I feel we're in a similar place where we're so itching to hear encouraging words that we're not hearing the warnings of the Lord. So it was in that context of them wanting to go back to Israel immediately and prophets saying they were going to, that Jeremiah was one of the lone voices saying, no, you will be there for 70 years. So then fast forward, Daniel reads that prophecy he begins his calculations of where they're at in the timeline, and then he begins to pray. Um, the word lie desolate means that Jerusalem had to complete a cycle of being in ruins. One of the reasons, other than idolatry, that Judah was taken into captivity was because they were also not letting observing the land Sabbath. They weren't letting the, the, the land uh, rest from crops because they didn't trust God to provide for them during that year that they were supposed to do that. So it was a lack of trust. It could possibly be some greed. And so for um, 490 years, there was not any rest. Therefore, that equaled 70. So the thing is, you can never escape the principles of God. You can never escape the kingdom laws. They're laws for a reason. And once we just execute, humble ourselves and execute those laws, life is so much better. Life is so amazing. I don't know why we're so stubborn, quite frankly. When I think back to the days where, you know, I did some things um, that were just silly as a Christian, I'm like, why did I do that? And obviously, immaturity, maturity plays a role. But once you know the truth and you don't do it, now it's no longer immaturity. Now it's possibly rebellion. Um and people say, well, I want to do this. Well, if you want to do something, you actually do it. That's a law as well. Um, and so, you know, here they are. They're thinking that they're going to be able to not let the land rest for 490 years. God did not forget that that was his law. Therefore, it rested for 70. So, you know, do it 
under pleasant circumstances or do it under not so pleasant circumstances. And by the way, most of the judgment we think that we're coming under is actually just poor decisions. It has nothing to do with God. Same thing here. They chose idolatry. They chose to not let the land rest. That was them. That was not God. And then um, the specific time period, again, was the 70 years. And when it says that he um, prayed or pleaded, it means that he sought, he required, he tried to obtain a means of seeking the Lord's will. Now, there's another word for pleaded, which is supplication. And this word refers to asking for favor. And it's used in comparison of like a rich man and a poor man where the rich man might plead for mercy uh, with a harsh rich man. But here, and and really God is just waiting to pour out his extravagance on us. So, um, but he is uncompromising. And for us, that can maybe seem harsh. Um, but he's not. He's not harsh at all. However, I mean, if you're one of his enemies and you refuse to repent, you'll see his wrath eventually. Um, now we're going to read his prayer. He says, Oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord your God, our God, is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. Do you see what he's doing? He is taking the blame completely upon himself, but also the people of Israel, not any on God. And he's letting God know, I recognize we were in the wrong. You were not in the wrong. You are faithful. You are merciful. You did what you said you would have to do. Uh, and so I love this because too many people blame God for the messes they're in when he had nothing to do with them. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. O Lord our God, hear your servant's prayer. 
Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay, O my God, for your people and your city bear your name. So this is one of the best prayers of repentance I have ever heard or ever read. So let's look at a few things um, on Daniel's view of God. One, he is great and awesome. He always fulfills his covenant, always keeps his promises of unfailing love. He is in the right. He's merciful and forgiving. He kept his word and did exactly what he warned. He has faithful mercies. And then he admitted the sins of the Israelites. Rebellion, disobedience, scorn, refusal to listen, refusal to seek mercy by turning from sin and recognizing truth and being full of wickedness. So again, I love how Daniel prays over the prophetic word, just like Elijah did when Elijah, you know, he delivered the prophetic word that there was going to be a drought for three and a half years, which by the way, that whole thing is very prophetic of the end of the age. And then the Lord told him it's time for the drought to end. So he and it's like, all right. And he instantly assumes the birthing position, the prayer position to pray rain in. It didn't happen just automatic. He didn't get back in the recliner and watch Netflix. He immediately got on his face, well, actually in a squatting position, and began to pray. Then he prayed seven times until a servant saw um, a cloud the size of a man's hand, so obviously it'd be bigger than mine. Once he saw that cloud, he took off running to warn the king that rain was coming and he better get uh, back to his palace. So um, this is really important to understand that we must cooperate with prophetic words as much as we cooperate with the written word. And then ask him, what is the action you want? Obviously, prayer is important. He may have you take specific practical action or exercise wisdom in specific areas. Um, or he may have you uh, tell others what you see and um, create coalitions of people to bring the word to pass. I mean, there's just so many things that he can do, but know that the process of the prophetic word coming to pass is part of our journey, and it's part of what makes us better individuals, better business people, better um, professionals, and um, loved ones to our family and friends. All right, so let's finish this up in verse 20. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. Now, real quick, Daniel didn't cause this. Daniel did not sin. He's not the one that did this. But notice that he identified with his people's sin because he was one standing in the gap. I'm sure he had some sin that he had committed, but when it comes to the idolatry and what led to Israel's fall, that had nothing to do with him. But I like that he identifies with that. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me. At the, at the time of the evening sacrifice, he explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so you can understand the meaning of your vision. Um, now the word, 
and I believe the reason that Gabriel told Daniel he was very precious to God um, is because he didn't distance himself from the sins of his nation. And the phrase means to take pleasure in, to desire, to covet, to be desirable, to desire intensely and passionate. And it also means to lust. But obviously in this sense, God is not sexually lusting after Daniel, but it is the intense desire and pleasure he takes in the relationship that he has with Daniel. You know, I think one thing that would help us as believers to understand is God wants to spend time with us. Um, I don't remember what scripture it is, but there is a word to describe the intensity of his desire to be with us. I think it's the word jealous in um might have been James, that he is jealous or a jealous God. I believe it's there. And that word jealous means he pines for us. And when you look at the word pining, it's like a wasting away that occurs from longing for your loved one. And obviously God's not wasting away. He's God. But that shows the intensity of his desire because he really, really, really likes you. And he really likes us. And I think if more of us understood that, maybe we wouldn't be so hard on ourselves and maybe we wouldn't find ourselves in some of the situations we find ourselves in. So um, in verse 24, now, you know, he's praying for the restoration of Jerusalem for the 70 year deal, but his prayer opened him up to more revelation. It says a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time of the command that is given to rebuild, rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, or Messiah, or Messiah, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Um, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appeared to having accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Now that's Rome, that's Titus, and that's going to be very important to understand as we continue our study of Daniel and then we get into Revelation, which by the way, I'm almost done studying. It says, uh, then the end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are deemed from that time to the very end, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. Now we know this is not Titus. This is not the Caesar that was in control at that time because they have died since they destroyed the city and the temple. We're now into the very end because he says that miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. And if you look at the history of Israel, it's been a lot of misery the Holocaust, wars, uh, rumors of wars, um, persecution in all nations. And so the future ruler in the New King James, it says the prince of the, um, let's see, the, um, well, darn, and I don't have my, my New King James, I only have an ESV in here. Oh, here we go. Hang on. I want to make sure I phrase it correct because it's a very important part. Okay, so let me get into the New King James Version. And this is Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Okay, listen to this. It says, Then he shall confirm 
a covenant with many uh, for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be the one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Okay, that is not, like I said, uh, Caesar or Titus at the time. Of, and I believe it was, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was 70 AD when Titus surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it. Um, but listen to this in the New King James. This is the phrase I was looking for. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come. Okay, so the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prince who is to come. Now we know that back in, um, oh, you know what? It may be, let's see here. Um, I think at some point, Gabriel was telling him that he had to fight, yeah, the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, which was manifesting, that supernatural being was manifesting its will and power through the human rulers. When we look at this phrase, the prince, the people of the prince who is to come, we know it's referring to, to a people group, not a supernatural prince, because the people who are to come. So that was the Romans. The Romans are the ones that destroyed the city. The Romans are the ones that destroyed the um, temple. So the prince who is to come is referred to in verse 27 as the one that will make the treaty with Israel at the end of the seven years of this uh, age. And in the middle of the seven years, he will break that treaty. And uh, it says, um, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven or seven years. But after this time, after half this time, so about three and a half years in, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes destruction until the fate decreed for the defiler is uh, finally poured out on him. Now, we cannot say that this is Antiochus Epiphanes. You know, I've talked about him. He's the one that um, did the abomination of desolation and jump-started the Maccabean War. But Jesus tells us when you see the abomination of desolation, so he's letting us know it's going to happen again. Okay? So, um, and we know it'll be someone of Roman descent. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, the only thing I can think of where this person would not be of Roman descent or Italian, I guess you would say, is maybe there would be a type of nation very similar to the Roman empire, ancient empire. Um, I don't know. It just seems very plain to me that, and, and if you look at the Roman empire that was going to come and the beasts that Daniel saw, and then the end of the age, they're very similar. So I do feel that, um, looking over in that part of the country for developments is probably going to be key. All right. Um, okay. So now we're getting to some serious sevens and numbers. And so this, the 70 sets of sevens are for the refining of the people of Israel, the Messiah, et cetera, et cetera. I like to use the word sets versus weeks because it can get a little bit confusing. 
So seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the moment the command or the decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem uh, until the ruler, the anointed one, comes. We know that Jerusalem was rebuilt during perilous times because the book of Nehemiah shows us it was. When the decree was given to rebuild Jerusalem, it jump-started this stopwatch that Daniel was telling uh, or that the uh, Gabriel was explaining to Daniel. The word perilous means to distress and anguish. It describes, <clears throat> excuse me, a condition of political, military, and religious oppression on God's people. Okay, then you get to, at the end of the 62 sets, um, the Messiah will be killed or executed like a criminal, is what that word means in the original language. And then a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city, uh, the temple. And so I've got here in my notes that was 70 AD um, with Titus as general. Um, and by the way, Jesus prophesied that when they rejected him coming into the city. Uh, now, the final ruler will obviously show up that we've already discussed. And we know it's not Antiochus Epiphanes. So this does make one wonder if there will be a third temple because the sacrifices will be uh, shut down. Now, it's important to understand that the first calendars used were 360 days, 10 months of 29 to 30 days. Later, two months were added, but it still made 11 days out of step with the Earth's orbit. In 46 BC, Julius Caesar ordered the calendar to be 365 days of the year, which is interesting because the Antichrist will seek to change laws and times. So I thought that was interesting that he changed time. Um, but it still kept us short, so that's why we have the leap year, okay? The Gregorian calendar seems to fix all the discrepancies um, that, we, that were uh, happening. So seven sets of seven is 49 years. Scholars believe this was from 445 to 396 BC when the decree was made to rebuild um, Jerusalem and then Nehemiah showed up to do that. The 62 sets of seven is 434 years and this was from 396 BC to 32 AD, which was a dedication of the second temple to the Lord's crucifixion. Okay, so, um, and being cut off or killed, being an execution, that's exactly what happened to the Lord, and the religious leaders would have known that. The Hebrew word here is karat, and it means to cut off, to cut down, or to make a covenant. So the Lord made a covenant by being executed as a criminal. The one set of seven is seven years. The final set of the seven years is at the end of the age. What the Jews did not foresee or know was the church age. They did not know that from between the 62 sets of seven and the last set of seven, that there was going to be a church age. And that's what God messed up. And so we have to understand the church age is crucial because we're supposed to be getting people born again and expanding the kingdom and consuming all other kingdoms for the Lord. So at that Seven year, the last set of sevens, um, will have in the middle of the seven years, the great tribulation starts. Thank goodness it's only going to be three and a half, uh, three and a half years. Um, in Second Thessalonians th uh, two, three through four, it says, 
Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come unless there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. Now, what Paul's referring to is a lot of people were trying to tell the early church that Jesus has already come back. And Paul's saying that day isn't going to happen until two things happen first. The great falling away or rebellion against God and the son of um, perdition or the man of lawlessness, which is the ruler that Daniel is referring to for this final set of sevens. He says he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Now, I don't want to freak you out, but if we read this straightforward, his second return, which, by the way, is when he catches us up, is not going to happen until the Antichrist is already doing his work. So the pre-trib rapture thing, you need to study it some more. Um, and it's actually a fairly new doctrine um, compared to the, the beliefs of the early church. Now, in Revelation 13, 11 through 18, it says, I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had ten horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose uh, fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, making even fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so they could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it's the number of man, and his number is 666. Okay, so where it says that desolations are decreed, um, it means that from the point of the Messiah being cut off until the very end, like I stated, Israel is going to have a lot of um, stuff happen to them. Um, like I said, the Holocaust was one. Persecution has been another. Um, wars in their land. Terrorist attacks. Uh, that little bit of land, for some reason, you know, is the enemy's um, target. But what I love about this story is that Daniel, by his professionalism, his excellence, his genuine love for the rulers that he served, um, he didn't become condescending or um, arrogant in dealing with them. He had a genuine love for them and wanted them to succeed. Through all of those things and him revealing their dreams, he was then able to step into his own role of receiving dreams and seeing the end of the age, guys, he saw stuff that he wasn't even allowed to permit uh, or to speak about. And so he's praying for his people to be restored um, because the 20 or the 70 years are getting close. And not only does he get to see um, and have that prayer answered, he didn't get to see it, but not only does, is that prayer answered, but the angel also opens up the very end of the age to him. 
So as you serve others with excellence and humility and love, the very place that you serve them, you'll actually have opened up to you in your own spiritual life. Isn't that neat? And as you maintain your standard of integrity and you refuse to bow to the demands of the Babylonian system, although we have to be in it, um, we don't have to bow to the demands of wickedness. We don't have to compromise. As we maintain those core values, then we're able to serve everybody better and we get to see in the word things that maybe others don't because they're not looking, because they don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. And uh, so don't discount your role or your importance in the Lord's story just because your dominant ministry is in the marketplace. Like I've said, 95% is in the marketplace. Marketplace is just as legitimate a ministry as the pulpit. They're just in two different locations. And quite frankly, I think one is more effective than the other. Daniel wasn't a priest. You know, he didn't have any access to those duties, obviously being in Babylon. But he was an influencer to influencers. And from that, that position on earth, God unveiled what would happen to his city in the temple, the Lord coming, the final week, etc. In Colossians 1, 24 through 27, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affections for the sake of his body, that is the church, or ecclesia, actually in the Greek, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. I make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the expectation of glory. So the church age was a mystery. The mystery was God would live in us. And the Israelites didn't see that coming. And uh, so anyway, we are definitely lucky to be alive at these times. Um, we get to partake in being born again, spirit-filled believers we get to be part of the first resurrection. And um, if a little bit of tribulation stands between us and that, so be it. Who cares? It's going to be worth it. All right, guys. I'm hoping to do urgent education uh, tomorrow. I've got some really good stuff on some truth behind slavery and also some hidden agenda, agenda with the education system. So I think I'm going to hit that one first. And then next week, probably do the slavery thing. I found out some things that are very shocking and surprising. I had no idea. So have a good evening and afternoon, and I will hopefully see you tomorrow.